Hey, SCF Student Ministries, Devin here, bringing you uh, week three of our Back to the Future series, which is our series uh, focusing on uh, injustice and looking at different areas of the Bible. Uh, so welcome back. We're talking about how traveling between the past and the present can help to change the future. Um, so we'll start off with this. Humanity hasn't yet figured out how to build a time machine, but if we could, think about which everyday object would you like to turn into a time machine? Uh, there might be some different ideas. I mean, my classic one that I always think of that's like the odd thing that gets turned into a time machine is obviously Back to the Future, the movie, um, and uh, the DeLorean, right? Um, if I told you imagine a time-traveling car, uh, maybe you'd think of like a Tesla or something like that, but... I mean, in the movie, Doc built this time machine out of a DeLorean in uh, a car that looked really cool, but it's actually, in real life, if you don't know, it was pretty terrible. Uh, the DeLorean was only manufactured for just, it was just two years, uh, but there were years of anticipation before its release. People thought it was going to have tons of power and cool features and all this stuff. Uh, when the car was finally available, people jumped at the chance to buy it. A lot of people even paid way more than it was worth, but it didn't take long for people to realize that the DeLorean was not what they expected it to be. Um, today, it's actually considered to be one of the worst cars of all time. After two years, the company that manufactured them filed for bankruptcy. Uh, it might be as famous for being in Back to the Future as for how terrible of a car it is. Um and I don't like to admit it, but I can kind of relate to that DeLorean, right? Uh we all have moments where uh you're expected maybe you're expected to be good at something and you're not. I can remember I mean I was always pretty athletic in high school and I remember in a PE class one time we were playing hockey and I specifically remember someone I could hear them talking to each other two guys and it was like, oh he is I guess he's not good at like everything some comment of I guess there is something that he's bad at or something like that. Me playing hockey because I was, was not good at it. Couldn't figure out the coordination for it. Um, but I'm, So I'm sure we can all think of times when our reality didn't meet someone else's expectations. Uh, sometimes we assume people are one thing only to be surprised when we find out that they're actually not. You've probably figured this out by now, but sometimes we all need the reminder that looks can be deceiving. I mean, the DeLorean may have looked cool for the 80s, but it was one of the worst cars ever. People we might consider to be the least impressive are sometimes the ones who surprise us with their talent, and sometimes the people who seem the most impressive aren't everything we think they are. And there are a lot of reasons that outward impressions can be deceiving, but here's one. Most of the time, we're all just trying to impress each other. Uh, I would say that for a long time, I would describe I would have described myself as a social chameleon. Um, I was proud of the fact that I could fit in with basically anybody that I want to by adapting what they did uh, and talking how they talked. And I could do that whether it was good or bad, positive, negative, whatever it was, I could fit into any situation because I could change how I acted and make it seem natural. Because um, we all want to feel liked, feel important, uh, be accepted. But when we don't feel liked, important, or accepted, sometimes we act or pretend, show off or brag. Maybe we even put others down to make ourselves feel better. I mean, I want to ask you this while you're thinking. Um, think to yourself if this is true. Do you know anyone who always follows the rules? Or are you someone who always follows the rules? And there are rules of behavior in every culture, right? Everyone has a different set. I mean, even your school or group of friends has its own culture that 
has rules and customs and all that kind of stuff, right? Sometimes these rules are learned only through observation, but other times these rules are written into laws or official codes of conduct. In Jesus' time, there were plenty of rules, both written and unwritten, that shaped the community and culture in which Jesus lived. Think about your school or group of friends. Have you ever noticed how what's cool or acceptable is often determined by the most popular or influential people? I mean, the same was true in Jesus' day. In that culture, some of the most influential people were the religious leaders of the time. And those leaders really loved rules, but for all the wrong reasons. These leaders were experts in the law and knew every religious custom inside and out. They had created a culture where following their rules wasn't just cool, it was the right thing to do. And because they were the best at following their own rules, these leaders believed themselves to be the best and most right out of anyone. So when Jesus sometimes ignored their rules and customs, these religious leaders didn't like that, right? I mean, imagine this playing out a little... we're going we're gonna to read this section. I want you to imagine this playing out in real life. We're going to read uh, in Luke chapter 11. So if you, wanna, if you have a Bible in front of you or a Bible app, we're going to be Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 37 through 41. I'm going to read that really quick. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. So, yeah, imagine that playing out. A religious leader invites Jesus to to brunch, and that's actually um, this specific, the the original text, that's what the word means. It was like a a morning or noontime meal. So they're at brunch together. The religious leader assumes Jesus would show up fully washed because that was the religious custom of the time. Not just like a hand wash, um, though. He wants Jesus to take a full immersion ceremonial bath to meet his standard of purity. When Jesus doesn't comply, the religious leader wants to know why Jesus isn't following his very important religious rules. Jesus shocks the Pharisee by saying these rules aren't that important to God. Other things Jesus says are more important, like committing yourself to love and justice. Jesus isn't afraid to be direct here. He's not interested in being polite with him. He tells the truth. Jesus says a cup can look clean on the outside while being filthy inside. And like that cool-looking DeLorean that turned out to be one of the worst cars ever made, Jesus might do a lot of good things, uh, or Jesus says you might do a lot of good things, but your heart can still be full of greed and wickedness, right? Maybe you're thinking, what? how, how awkward would this be to be at this? Jesus is being so rude to this guy, but sometimes the most loving thing we can do is just tell someone the truth, especially when they're harming others, and keep that in mind as we continue reading what Jesus had to say. So this is going to be verse 42 through 46. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. 
One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. I mean, Jesus is frustrated and mourning the mistreatment of people he loves and created, especially because the people causing them harm are people who claim to be spiritual religious leaders. I mean, Jesus warns these leaders that following the rules won't help them win God's approval if they don't share God's heart of love and justice for others. Worrying about our own rightness doesn't matter if we're not also worrying about the well-being of others. I mean, and into some of this, some of this, Jesus wasn't wildly like ranting about the Pharisees in the passage, Jesus' words were carefully crafted to make a point from the past. So if you look back, back in time, before Jesus walked on earth, God sent prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Amos, and many more to deliver messages from God to God's people. And often these prophets were sent in order to tell God's people how they had strayed from God's righteousness and justice and how they could make things right again. So when Jesus called out the Pharisees' sin, and called them back toward God's love and justice, Jesus was pointing back in time to the book of Amos. Amos was a prophet who had a lot to say to God's people, like that performing certain rituals or following certain rules doesn't make you righteous in God's eyes. I mean, God doesn't care about all the good you do if you're oppressing people who are poor and in need. Right living isn't just about you, it's about doing justice for the sake of others. So we're actually going to flip back, we're going to read a pretty long section uh, from Amos, that book. It's not one that we read super often, it's a pretty short one, but we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 24. It says, Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades in Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold. It brings the fortified city to ruin. These are there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek God, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore this is what the Lord, the Lord God 
Almighty says. There will be waiting in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Yeah, so that's a, a long section um, but I mean, did you notice uh, specifically one phrase there that Jesus says in there? He says, woe to you. Uh, Jesus knew the words of Amos and he knew the Pharisees knew them too. And that's why he reached into the past and pulled that warning into the present. Jesus and Amos both cared enough for the leaders they were speaking to that they told them the truth. You're doing a lot right, but you've missed the things that matter most. The Pharisees knew everything there was to know about rules and religious customs customs but they had forgotten the most important things they forgot the words of amos they forgot god wasn't impressed by them after they received god's love for themselves they forgot to share it with others and they forgot other people mattered and they forgot god's heart for justice so why did jesus hope uh, what did jesus hope they did instead he hoped that they would remember the words of the past humble themselves lament the ways they could contribute to injustice, and commit themselves to the work of justice instead. And Jesus is the same for us. Because Jesus' mission was to set people free and rebuild what was destroyed. He invites us to grieve the ways we've harmed others, consider how we can commit ourselves to freeing and rebuilding alongside Jesus. He can love God and others more than ourselves or our religion. So Jesus is grieved when we commit injustices against each other, especially when we disguise our lack of compassion in religiosity. That's not how Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to do justice. So what about you? How are you doing justice? How have you contributed to injustice? And how are you neglecting the work of justice right now? I mean, if you're not sure, that's totally okay. You're not a religious leader from 2,000 years ago, so maybe you're struggling to understand how Jesus' words and woes apply to you. And I'd like to ask us ourselves some challenging questions. So you can write these down, write every question, or uh, just the ones that you want to know about later, or just try and remember some of them. But I'm going to ask a bunch of questions in a row. Have I taken something that wasn't mine? Have I taken advantage of someone else? Have I participated in something that hurt someone else? Have I missed a chance to share empathy with someone who is without a dad or mom? Have I shown kindness to children? Have I cared well for elderly folks? Have I allowed cruel or discriminatory words to live in my mind or conversations? Have I created safe spaces for people with disabilities or different abilities than my own? Have I created safe spaces for people with other things, right? Have I ever fought for someone whose voice has been silenced? Am I willing to be an advocate for the needs of others? So I hope you've identified 
a place in where you life, maybe you can learn to be a better doer of justice for others. And before we jump into that, let's do what Amos and Jesus invite us to do. Let's lament the ways we failed to act justly in the past. We can grieve the ways we've contributed to injustice by offering a prayer that, to God that looks like this. There's a few different parts. First is cry out. Address Jesus. Let him know you're coming to him in prayer. Second is lament. Talk about the problem. Describe why you're coming to God in prayer. Next is confess. Say how you've either added to the problem with your actions or ignored the problem with your inaction. Fourth is ask. Ask for God's help and guidance. And lastly, praise. Say thank you for God's help, support, kindness, and love. Now we know how to lament injustice like Jesus and the prophets did, but how do we actually do the work of justice? When you discover injustice, you can do something or say something. So, I think this is good to clear up too. Um, when we're talking about injustice, there's the world that's kind of a hot button topic right now, right? Like we we hear there's protests all over the world. There's lots of stuff going on for injustice in the world, racial injustice, uh, gender injustice, whatever it might be. There's a lot of injustice that's in the media, but it doesn't have to just be the things that are taught. There's a, there's other injustice. There's other forms of injustice that maybe you're more called to deal with. Right. Um, I mean, there right now, there are 790 million people in the world who lack access to safe drinking water. That's an injustice. That's a kind of injustice that we can look at. So do something. I mean, if we're talking about the water thing for a week, we can maybe limit our beverages to water, right? We have so many options. We have money that we spend on coffee, sodas, energy drinks, smoothies. Maybe you take that money and give it to an organization who works to help solve this problem. There's a lot that work on providing safe water to people all over the world. Maybe you say something. When someone asks, why aren't you drinking anything but water? You can say something like, I drink water to recognize that many do not have it. It's to raise awareness for something important. So sometimes it's difficult to know where to begin on your justice journey when you're just starting out. There are a lot of problems out there, and most of them feel so much bigger than you and me. But God didn't tell us to quit caring when we encountered big problems. Jesus and the prophets speak to us from the past, inviting us to join God in changing the future. And there's so much that can be done when we decide to do justice in the world. That's why we were called by Jesus. We can look to Jesus' example for what that looks like in our life, uh, to identify problems around us, and 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 begin to help in those situations in our community and the people around us, and then all over the world as well. Like there's nothing that's too big for us when we have Jesus helping us along the way. Thanks guys for listening. I'm excited next week for our last week of this series uh, and stay tuned for our summer plans that I'll be announcing shortly. Thanks. See you next time.